Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon podcast. I feel like I just stomped on Heavenly Mother's thing because she was, every time before we start recording, because she's been doing the intro, of course, because it's her <laughs> show, but uh, today she offered it to me. And every time we record, I always do like the cool news broadcaster thing where I go three, two, and then I hold up a one and then point and I hit record because... I hit I hit record, but because I hit record when she invited me to do the intro, I was like, yeah, sure, I can do the intro. And I just hit record and started. But then I looked up from after hitting record and she was there counting down and I was like, oh, oops, oopsie poopsie. We've already begun. <laughs> counting uh, down to nothing. So that's what I was doing. I am elder. I am. I'm Elder Jackson. I am uh, I I am uh, conducting this meeting like a beautiful musical chorister at the front that no one will pay attention to. <laughs> and uh, and Heavenly Mother, of course, is presiding because uh, we're progressive church and women can have the priesthood too. Word. Yes, I'm I'm presiding because we're just totally adapting with the times as the church does. As the church does. You know, I was recently thinking about how wonderful it is that my friend and his husband uh, can actually, you know, well, actually, my friend is a bishop now, of course, because the church is so progressive. And his husband is actually uh, the elders quorum president. Talk about a power couple. Actually, I feel like that'd be conflict of interest. I don't feel like that would happen, um, mostly because they're gay, but also because it's a conflict of interest. Well, I think if you held all the power with the men, it probably wouldn't be. <laughs> That's true. Maybe they should should embrace they should embrace gay men, but disallow lesbians. I mean, that's and then no. it, the church would be even manlier. The church is, uh, I have so many feelings about that. So uh, the Roman Empire <laughs> functioned in the way that you just said. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Heavenly Mother, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Really never, like once a year. But that's just for, I think it's just for men, straight men, I think. Straight white men, because the native men in my life are like like once They're, every five years. So my, my sister asked me. She said, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I was like, well, probably once a week or something. And then, and but I was confused why she asked. So I mentioned it to a coworker. And my coworker said, what is the Roman Empire? Okay. Wow. <laughs> She's born and raised Canadian. She's lived here her whole life. And I was wow. like, wait, you're kidding, right? And she's like, no, I'm serious. And then I also had to explain to her what an empire was. Um, so I think she just didn't know. I don't know. I think she missed uh, a course in school. But she's she's really nice. And it's not like you need to know about the Roman Empire. I just thought it was interesting that she literally had no idea. But my sister also asked her husband. And he he was like, he was like, not really ever, like maybe like once a year, maybe if somebody brings it up 
And my sis, my sister was like, what do you mean you don't think about the Roman Empire? I think about it at least a few times a month. So my sister is a straight man and her husband is a woman, I guess. <laughs> when it comes to the stereotypes, I think it's just about everybody has little niche in like interests. Mm-hmm. But I will say for a lot of women, it's the Romanovs. <laughs> we think about the Rus- I think about the Russian Revolution on a pretty regular basis. Really? Um, yeah, not sp- it used to be specifically the Romanovs because I liked Anastasia the movie as a child. Classic. And then it just like splintered off into like the rise of communism. And I read this really good book called Ali and Nino about the history of Azerbaijani. Hope I'm saying it right. It's a country um, by the Dead Sea. And it's their history from World War One until the 1930s. Um, and so it covers, like, the fall of the Tsar of Russia and then when the Reds come. Um, and just basically how people in Europe and the Middle East and in Asia, people all over the world, pretty much, um, weren't ready for what was coming because they had only functioned, which is perfect for our topic, they had only functioned under monarchies. Mm. So um, in the book, uh, his name is Ali Khan Shirvanshir and his family. Um, and I actually read this book. I didn't do it on Audible, so I could be saying these names wrong. So I'm getting that out there. Um, all the wealthy sheiks and wealthy established families of the area met together to discuss how they would negotiate with the new ruler of Russia. Because that was always what they had done. When an empire would take over, they'd meet with the leader and then negotiate but they didn't understand that with the communist takeover they did not care they were destroying art they were destroying buildings they didn't they didn't care if you were a shirvancher if you were a khan if you were they didn't care about any of those things or those titles and people really weren't ready and it made me think about how in europe people were not ready for hitler or mussolini or um the rise of what a dictator would be because it's this non-monarchical non-royalty coming in um and i think the only person that kind of predicted what hitler was capable of was winston churchill because he said on record when hitler won his nobel peace prize like that's a madman like this isn't this this isn't isn't somebody who you he's not who you think he is and then even when britain was talking about like surrendering he was like no like you don't understand like we're not surrendering to or an empire that we're familiar with. Um, not to say that previous regimes under British and French rule wasn't Hitler-like, but that had been a long time ago. It hadn't been in people's memories. Well, a long time ago for them, because it wasn't very long ago for South Asia. But the point is, I think certain power structures people aren't per- aren't ready for, and so they don't handle it the way they probably should have. That's well, my point, that story. Yes, yes. Uh, I had I had one joke in there that I thought of saying, um, but I I forget it now. But I have a, another joke that I saw on Instagram. It was there was this this modern art scene. Okay, there was like this you know performative thing, and everybody's filming it. And after this guy does this random thing. Everybody claps. People are like, oh my goodness, that was that was inspirational. I love that. I'm gonna cry. Even though it was nonsense. And then this guy, uh, 
and I'll clarify, okay, for people out there, I understand that sometimes things that we don't recognize and don't understand can seem like nonsense to us, okay? If somebody told a really funny joke in Vietnamese, I wouldn't get it because I don't speak Vietnamese, okay? I, I get that there are different contexts and languages and understandings of different things, okay? Anyways, this guy does this modern art thing, this performative art thing. And then one of the comments was, uh, was, we've gotten this because art schools stopped rejecting people after World War II. Oh, my God. I thought that was pretty funny. That is a funny joke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know art is subjective, but it's pretty interesting, like, the art that holds, the art that lasts. Uh, it's because it still has an emotional impact, you know, mm -hmm. like that's what I've come to define art as is like, does it make you feel something like that's what beauty is to me? Like, does it make me feel something? Yeah. Um, even if that something is like, maybe not the best. I don't know, but I I do have limits. I do have certain things. Like if you're just making me feel pure disgust, that's not a very complex emotion. So I'm going to have to say hard pass. Or if you're just making me feel like, uh, oppressed yeah horror or oppressed i'm like it doesn't take it to make someone be in awe that something is so beautiful or something is so sad or something is so relatable that's really different but you can i don't know you could have gore in a movie and be like it's art because it made you feel nauseated like i guess yeah i think yeah it's interesting because i would say that the uncomfortableness that i feel in uh, in midsummer, I would say that that's artistic, right? Like to to feel so uncomfortable in in that movie, I'd say that's artistic. But I wouldn't say that like seeing pictures of atrocities is artistic. You know, that's just that's sad, that's depressing, that's that's history, and that's reality. Um, and I also think so. Since we're talking about power structures and we're talking about art currently. Um, I think a lot of the time, uh, a good way to see this is in architecture. Uh, the architecture that a government chooses to use um, for, their, for their government buildings, right? Uh, in the United States, it's particularly a lot of neoclassical uh, stuff, right? Kind of based largely on Roman architecture, right? That's kind of where they got their ideas for these big domes and huge columns and, you know, it's all, uh, you know, marble or whatever rock they're using. Um, or if you build the Pantheon in uh, uh, Nashville or the Parthenon, the, not the Pantheon, the Parthenon in Nashville, you use concrete and it looks really cool from far away and then you walk up to it and you're like, oh, this kind of looks weird. I don't know. <laughs> But interesting museum inside, so that was fun. Hmm. Those are cool beans. I've never been there. And I do think that um <clears throat> actually I lost my train of thought. I literally cleared my throat and it was like gone immediately. That's Whatever you were so, thinking is that's, out, out of the way. That's so interesting. That must have been like the the boom <laughs> gate opening up and the train heading on its way. <laughs> it like got coughed and just obliterated. But yeah, it was about 
I don't even know what it was. I literally, it is gone. Like the train has, it's gone into the Bermuda Triangle of my mind. And it's, I don't know where it is. The mystery is mystering. Um, oh my God, I have this fascinating idea. I don't know if we'll do it today, but uh, I've decided to really embrace Disney as my religion. And I'm, I'm converted and I'm baptized. I love I've that for you. Sorry. And you're open about it now. I am, yeah. I'm going to actually proselyte. That is so great. I'm going to spend 18 more months of my life really hurt financially because it will hold me back in my career for two years and just, you know, preach this this multi-billion dollar industry. But at least the industry actually contributes something where the Mormon church just hoards all their money. Yeah, it's true. Although I will say that Disney, Disney is the bad guy. Um in uh, yeah. you know in these union negotiations you're right you're right because they've lost the spirit of the true mickey mouse they've lost the spirit yeah in my like opinion. disney is a law firm like yeah uh, you, you know which is it's it's crazy to me it's like you know started out as this racist guy making cartoons right what a, what a what a beautiful origin story. Yeah, he hated Jews, apparently. <laughs> I don't think that that's true, but continue. I have heard that said so many times that it, like, it must be true. Anyways, plus the time he lived in, it's pretty safe to oh assume. Like, you want him to be a bad person. Oh, I want him to be a bad person. <laughs> um, but, no, so, it's like, it's like, it started out as this nice little racist man in in the U.S. making cartoons right? Having a great time working people, right? Making women work for him to animate these things for cheap, cheap, cheap. And oh then like, it's a beautiful origin story. <laughs> and then now the company doesn't want to pay writers and actors. I'm shocked. I am shocked. I didn't think that he was racist. He's also Canadian born. So we need to oh, consider I'm gonna, US immigrant. I'm going to yeah, look this up. He was in World War One for Canada, him and his brother. And he's a little gem to me, but I digress. I digress. My loyalty to that religion will get in the way. Walt Disney was born in Chicago. Oh my God. I thought he was Canadian. Nope. So close. Why are we both so, close. so wrong about Walt Disney? Well, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm We're right. We're both wrong. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Was Walt. <laughs> Your algorithm is going to tell you that he is. Disney racist. You know, this is so true. The algorithm rules us all. Um, okay. Because my algorithm would say that he's not. So his great nephew, according to the New York Post, called him a fascist. But, of course, that could just be, you know, her saying that. I call my great uncles fascists all the time. We a lot all of people do don't know what fascists mean. Exactly. Uh, okay. Which gives more power, unfortunately. Okay, well, Vulture, Vulture has, like, uh, the evidence. These charges stem primarily from the use of racial stereotypes in Disney movies from the 40s. Okay, let's okay, see. Okay, that was, yeah, I'm, I can't justify a lot of those war propaganda films. That was a rough, that was rough and not okay. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, so... I just block out the parts I don't want to think about, you know? 
yeah. I just cognitive dissonance my way because in in the the Disney religion that I have created very recently with the whole lore and canon, um, Mickey is actually the god. Mickey is the god, Mickey but Mickey came from an it, Mickey came from an imperfect god, right? But he surpassed him and oh. died for our sins ultimately. Oh, in that... my religion that I've created, I don't have time to explain it at all because we have to do our topic. Yeah, but just it's it's. A little sprinkle of Hinduism mixed with Final Fantasy mixed with Warhammer. And that's the faith of Disney. Yeah, it's really deep shit. It's really deep shit. I, I love that for you. So, wait. <laughs> so, like, Disney isn't running this. You're running this off of them. Uh, so, it's kind of like it's kind of like when, when there's, like, an archaeologist and they're, they're digging in the dirt and they find a child's doll. And then a bunch of women from the United States, even though this is happening in like Turkey or something, a bunch of women from the United States show up and they're like, oh my goodness, that is from our ancient mother goddess cult. So it's kind of like that, where it's like you found an image and then you're like, oh my goodness, that's my religion. You know, there's more to it. It's I identify with the men, in fact, the group of men who canonized the Bible because they took a bunch of materials and were like, this is what we're going to use. See, because I cleverly, mm. cleverly dismissed the stuff that's racist that I don't like. So I, I identify with the people that canonized the Bible, those rat bastards. Okay, okay. I, I like that. For this world. And hear me out. I will say this. Disney parks and cruises are a portal through my through our universe and their universe interesting those are the portals that's like the veil it's the veil through the veil through the veil and they can't come into our world and i don't know what their understanding is of our world mickey's dream creations because mickey has dreamed them and they have come to life right in their own and they're sentient and they can rebel against him if, if they want to but they're all from his dreams and we are not from his dreams. We are from the world of his God, his creator. And he has some memories and some recollection of his God. I'm so because I'm so into this theology. We, that have, is cool. we have to be converted. I'm converting it this time. Yeah. Because Main Street in Disneyland is modeled after Walt Disney's hometown. And there's a great moments with Abraham Lincoln presentation slash show. It's really cool. Um, and it has no Disney gym. Like there isn't a Mickey Mouse running through the life of Abraham Lincoln. So Mickey has some understanding of who was important from the realm of his creator. Hmm. And here, this so juicy. Here it goes. Here goes Otto Jackson. Sometimes other creators dreams are so powerful. They enmesh with the portal. And that's why you have Star Wars land and Indiana Jones. So George Lucas is a god creator like Walt Disney in this portal, and so is Steven Spielberg. Oh my and goodness! Intermesh with Mickey because Mickey is so powerful. Oh my goodness! So it's he's he's like a vortex god. He is yes, he's so powerful, and he like it's crazy. Yes, and this so is cool. the religion that I'm a part of. I made it all up. That is so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. I love that. Okay, so so now that you're at the top of power structure. Because, <laughs> um, okay, so we're talking about evil power structures. The church mm -hmm. has a, an evil power structure, right? It's this guy at the top who is like, you know, like all seeing, all knowing, right? Like he is kind of, you know, they say he speaks to God, but he is God. 
because he's just making this shit up, right? Mm -hmm. Which apparently, um, the thing is coming up. Uh, oh, did I say on this podcast the bonkers bananas thing that my brother said? No. What did he say? My brother said that he's looking forward to Oaks becoming the prophet because it will separate the wheat from the tares. Oh, I'm sure it will. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to clamp down like the claw in Toy Story. <laughs> the claw. <laughs> it's going to just... <clears throat> Just tightly grip the people that are already in there who are suffering the most, as we've discussed previously. Well, so yeah, they're gonna get out, they're gonna leave because they're like everybody else that's not in the claw of like devotion, right? Right, yeah, right. Um, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. I can't wait, uh, so excited. Um, but yeah, so there's like this guy at the top who's totally in charge of anything. Like he could, he could get up in conference and say whatever nonsense he wants. And the other guys, the other guys have to go along with it. Like they have to be like, okay, well, our beloved prophet said that, you know, we're supposed to use the full name of the church. So here I go. Uh, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh my goodness. I have to take a deep breath after that. That was so long. Um, yeah, so they have to go along with it. Um, right. other, otherwise, that ruins the image. And, you know, our we've discussed this before because it's hilarious. And many, many of our ex-Mormon brothers and sisters have as well. The creepy bowing down to Nelson that happened since he took office. <laughs> I guess we'll just call it office. He took, because he's a president of the church, but he's also a prophet. Um, so very unsettling, but the power structure is a total and complete pyramid mm -hmm. with the tiniest, tiniest point. The point at the top is so small. There's only one man on it. Mm -hmm. And then underneath that there's 12 and then underneath that there's 70 and then underneath that there's like seven, there's like hundreds more. Mm -hmm. And then at the very bottom, which is the largest part is all of the little humdrum diddly little members that you and I were, mm -hmm. um, Bishop Jensen and everyone we've had on. Oh, I mean, no, one time you had somebody that was a little yeah. bit up. But even the bishops and the patriarchs and the stake presidents, in my opinion, are pretty low on the triangle. Yes. I think they're at the bottom. And I think that they suffer and I think that they're being exploited. Um, and so I am a firm, hard, aggressive believer that a pyramid power structure um is wrong wow so I, yeah Other i know people, I think it's, I think it's evil. <laughs> like exercising abusive power over other people yeah i'd say that's wrong too and every time that a triangle power structure appears um it falls but something that i wanted to go into was how if you replace the tip of the triangle with something that rhymes with the, with what was there, uh, you're still going to have oppression and you're still going to have problems. Mm -hmm. Should I like do a little rant now and go deep into it now? Do, or go, go, go deep girl. <laughs> go, go, go. Started with the Disney lore and here we are. Um, so I've had discussions with a lot of people. Um, not a lot, a couple. Okay. A few people, right where we sort of think about like capitalism and communism as these like two choices. It's like binary. 
and, and neither work. Well, we know communism doesn't work. And I swoop in hot and aggressive, and I'm gonna say some truth that might be hard to hear. One of the reasons that communism does not work is that to me as an outsider looking in as an indigenous woman, it's not that different from capitalism and I'll explain. And I like, also, I like little eminent, like little uh, jewels, little gems of capitalism, and I like little gems of communism. So I'm not completely against either option. I just think that they're done in the wrong way. And the reason that they're done in the wrong way is because da 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 da, da they're both patriarchal systems. <laughs> they mm -hmm. both have men at the top. So it just fucking rhymes. So in communism, Karl Marx said, I'm paraphrasing, the demands of produce, like the demands of production, must be, must be determined by the labor source. And I love that. I feel that. Preach it, Carl. Get it, Carl. You're right. But it's still thinking in the mindset of producers, of production, of making, of capital. Well, what about the people who cannot work? The people who cannot produce? What about the children? What about the elderly? What about the disabled? Boom, boom, boom. These three people, three groups of people. What happens to them? Well, they fall underneath. They're oppressed. Da, 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 da. You know who else is oppressed in capitalism the most? Those three groups of people. And you sprinkle in racism and you sprinkle in sexism and it's just a hellscape for so many people. So communism to me is not different enough because it seems to put men at the top. And in a few instances in South America, namely, I won't say any specific countries or say specific names, but those who know, know. <clears throat> the Latin American girlies know. Um, even if you have a woman rise to the top in a communist society or in a capitalist society, she is functioning through the mindset of patriarchy. Mm. It's just flipped on its head. So having women be in control of a society in the same exact way that men are in control in society is not the opposite of patriarchy. You just mm -hmm. change the gender, but you still have a very corrupt archy system. Right. Women oppress men. These women in South America haven't done that, but they function, behave, and act, um, even though they are women, in that mindset. Right. So that's my super long, crazy rant, but I want to compare it to like the church's structure and the changes that it makes. It just rhymes like right. with the previous oppression. Continue. Um, yeah, yeah actually, what you're saying kind of reminded me of Barbie. That's what Barbie's about, is that these oppressive structures, they're bad for everybody, right? Like in yeah. Barbie land, Ken's, Ken's are kind of oppressed. Like, they're oppressed. Yeah. And, and that is, that's talked about in the movie. So every time somebody's like, um, Barbie just says men should just submit. It's like, no, literally, did you watch the movie? That is not what this movie was saying. It's saying that oppressive structures are bad for everybody, whether like no matter who's at the top. And so, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, the church has a huge oppressive structure and so does capitalism and communism, right? Um, people, people, I don't know. People ask me, I don't know why people ask me my opinions on things but pe people are like so like do you you know do you think we should do communism i'm like no not like not really i think capitalism and communism are both tools that we can use to create an an effective system um in which to to live and the problem is we always go too far <laughs> too far one way we always overcommit 
instead of just saying, hi, huh, yeah, actually, this would be like a useful thing to, to do um, in, this, in this system. So, uh, yeah. So what, what do we do, Heavenly Mother? Share, share your wisdom with us. How, how do we um, create a system that is, uh, that is not so oppressive? Because I'd love to live in that world. Thank you for bringing it up. I'm also worried that my computer will die, so I'm going to be plugging it in. So if I sound like I'm moving around, I am. That is so. <laughs> that is so wise of you. Can I just say, like, what? How? How great the wisdom of <laughs> of your of your incomprehensible mind to see that I'm your computer <laughs> needs to be plugged in. Man, I wish I wish I had that kind of wisdom. Just very, very bright, very smart. Thank you. Hymns should be created for me on that, on that note. So I plugged it in, so now I have nothing to fear. There's a lot of chords I'm working with. Um, so one of the ways that you get out of a horrific power structure where you just, instead of shaving off the tip of the triangle and replacing it with somebody who already had close proximity to the top, um, you have to put the needs of the people at the very, very bottom, however niche that is, however small that is, I don't care. You have to put their needs at the top. So you take everybody that's at the very bottom who are the most oppressed and you like imagine a triangle shape, take the fattest, whitest part of the triangle and you put it up at the top. We no longer have a triangle shape. You have an awkward like Maybe an upside down triangle, that would be probably the closest if we flipped it. But it would crumble like flat down and then be dispersed like a straight line. Like if you've ever had like Play-Doh and you made it into an upside down triangle, little the weight from the top smashes it and it becomes even. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I want anyone to be oppressed. But if you look at a structure like the fucking church where there is one single person at the very top, if that one single person is being oppressed, I mean, I'm not going to lose sleep at night over that, especially because he is evil. Like he is a terrible yeah, oppressor. Yeah. Um, so I don't really feel bad. Um, but the hope then is once you have your concerns in order, right, the most oppressed people are taken care of i.e. children elderly and disabled mm -hmm. uh, but the poop um i mean things just get better and then they will even out so that no one will be and so that's part of it being uh non-individualistic caring about other people not just yourself is really really huge um a dispersion of capital uh, really deciding what people have, what people's rights are. And so a right to live. So the fact that in the United States that we don't have universal health care does not honor the right to live. Yeah, It does. Several of us, myself included, I work for a living to pay for health insurance so I don't die. Like, yeah. that just is what it is. And really, really poor people in the United States get help from the government, but it's really not enough. Those, they keep getting cut they keep getting over the quota or over whatever. Um, so it really isn't a way to live. But that's my solution is if you take the people at the very, very bottom and you put their needs at the top, uh, surprise, you've solved the issue. But in the other structures, like the other examples that I listed, you took 
I don't know, like a monarchical, let's say a French revolution. We'll go there. Let's go way, way back. Journey with me, y'all. They killed the king and his family. Things got brutal. Elites had their cuts cut off. It was a bad time. Who rose to power and took over? Da 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 da. A man, <laughs> like a white man who Napoleon came from nothing. Well, yeah, by default, the fact that he was a man means that he was not at the very bottom. Well, and even before that, there was like Robespierre and stuff, like these other people who rise to the top, and then they tell everybody, "Oh, I'm actually a god." And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then they try to make a ten day week and all this stuff, but at least we got the metric system out of it. So it's not all bad, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what you're saying about putting, putting the needs of kind of the most oppressed or the, the people who need it. When you, when you take care of the people who most need help, everybody else gets helped, right? Um, you think about, uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about city building because this is my religion. You have Disney. I have city building. <laughs> as you should, as you should proselyte to me. Proselyte. I will proselyte <laughs> to you. Um, so when you're building a city, ideally you have a sidewalk. There are a surprising amount of places in the U.S. that do not have sidewalks. Um, fortunately, I live in a city that does have sidewalks. I think they should be wider because I think that uh, wheelchair users should be able to pass each other on the sidewalk without having to find some place to get off, right? Or back up or move on to somebody's lawn or something, right? I think that's how wide a standard sidewalk should be, right? And then you think about what are, what are the additional benefits of that? Because you're thinking, okay, well, we're going to do it for wheelchair users who are few and far between. There's not a ton of people using wheelchairs, right? But there are people using wheelchairs. So what does that do for people? Okay, well, it actually, it makes it easier for parents pushing strollers. It makes it easier for people who are going grocery shopping uh, by foot and need to use one of those uh, wheeler things. Um, it makes it easier for people on mobility scooters or using walkers or people who wouldn't go out, but now they feel more comfortable going out because the walk is more pleasant, right? It's uncomplicated. Um, also, when you have ramps and tactile strips, people think those tactile strips are for blind people. They're not for blind people. That may have been the original thought or the original intention, which again, how many blind people do you know, right? There's not a ton of blind people, um, especially in countries that have working healthcare systems and stuff. Um, but those aren't just for blind people. They're also for us, like people looking down at our phone, right? It's another sensory thing that says, hey, 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 you're coming up to a road, just, just so you know. Or in Calgary, we also have them when you're cross, crossing a, a bike path as well. Uh, just saying, hey, 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 the traffic crossing against you here is faster, right? It's faster than you. So just, you know, look up. And, you know, pay attention, right? Um, just so you know where you are and what you're getting yourself into. Same things with, with ramps, right? We have those ramps. And a lot of people, right, I see uh, in some older neighborhoods, those ramps on the sidewalk, uh, the cutouts, the curb cutouts, uh, some of them, they're not there. They're not there. And if you want, if you're a wheelchair user and you're trying to get to a bus stop, 
you can't cross at the crosswalk. You have to go to the back alley where there's a ramp for the cars, and then you have to cross the street there and then go across and then move up, and then you can go to the bus stop, which sometimes the bus stop doesn't even have a concrete pad because it wasn't built for those people. But now... If you've got a ramp, okay, well, that works well for e-scooters, kids riding bikes, right? Like all of these other things that it actually helps people who are more able-bodied than the people who you originally made that adjustment for. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, when, when you help people who are at the bottom of the pyramid, you're helping everybody else, especially because you don't know if you'll ever be at the bottom of the pyramid, right? If you're in the top 0.01%, chances are you'll, you'll be fine. Like you'll always find a way to scam your way through life, whatever. But you don't know if, you know, you're going to be the next person to be oppressed, right? Or if one of your children will be oppressed, right? Or, or if somebody in your family has some additional needs, right? Uh, my aunt, I think I've told this story on the podcast before. She, uh, she has traveled a lot for work and she's quite well off for it. Um, and she was in a taxi once in California and the cab driver says, oh, you know, like you're Canadian. How do you feel about paying for other people's health care? That must suck. And my aunt said, well, no, not really, because what if someday, what if someday I need health care, right? And then, well, she got breast cancer, right? And, you know, like, maybe if she was living in the States, she would have been able to, you know, have the benefits and whatever that would have covered that treatment for her. But living in Canada, that's not even something she ever had to think about. She never, she didn't think about how much is the, how much am I going to have to pay for this, right? And, um, and so, yeah, like, I'll, I'll pay into the system, right? I had, uh, sorry, I'm like going off here. This, the, okay. the, this man last night at my retail job, um, he said something about, uh, about this billionaire in Canada and I, I was like, oh, yeah, but he can't even pay his workers a living wage, you know. And, and he was like, well, you know. And this man kind of like defended him, even though at first he was like insulting him. But then he's, he's like, well, when you're retired, you'll, you'll enjoy it more. I'm like, Ex excuse me. I'm like, I'm like we, we could have a longer conversation about this, but I got a line up here. So I like let it go. But I, I was like excuse me you know like there's this idea of the system has to be unfair because someday i'll be at the top right there's like this weird fetishizing of billionaires and like but someday i'll be a billionaire too it's like you're not going to be a billionaire you're not like i'm i'm sorry man i don't care how hard you work how how savvy you are you're not going to be a billionaire that's it. It's never been it's never been harder to be one now. Yeah. It's never been harder. It's never been harder to be one. I think you're exactly right and it does perfectly remind me of I don't know if you experienced this but when I was in the church and I was dating, I went on dates with men 
who had the expectation, who had the dream of becoming high ups in the church. Mm-hmm. And they would imagine their church careers. And when I was on my mission, uh, lots of elders felt the same way, thought the same things. I had a guy on a date, it's in the Mormon dating horror stories, who was like, I need to be with a woman that's going to support me in my callings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We dated for seven days. Anyways, yeah. um, literally a week and then bye, bye Felicia. Um, that's a reference to Friday. Anyway, solid movie. Um, lots of sequels, but huh, there is this dream fantasy of one day I'll be a general authority. I'll be a mission president. And the horrible... And most won't, right? Well, maybe now the church is getting so small. Sure, sure as hell they all yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you stick but, around, <laughs> oh god. Um, I think with the billionaire thing, they just won't be like that. Is like a delusional thought. Uh, white supremacy is so delusional. Oh my god, there are so many things on the characteristics that are like this is delusional. Um, but with the church careers and the church aspirations, what they're going to end up finding out is that if they're a mission president. They're don't, they do not have as much power as they think that they do. Mm-hmm. They have a lot more stress. And some mission presidents are really shitty and they thrive off of the power that they do have, i.e. Yeah. my moms who made them all go on a diet and made, gave them weird dress codes and shit. Yuck. Um, and just the egotistical ones that are out there, predatory ones that are out there. Um, but if, like, let's imagine you're a good, solid guy in the church who believes it wholeheartedly and you have this, like, you know, strong as platinum, strong as titanium um, testimony and your mission president, you're going to find that this was a huge sacrifice uh, years of your life that you're getting paid, but you can't even enjoy the money that you're getting because you're working all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's blaming you for everything. You're like middle, middle management, but with people's souls in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like my mission president, him and his wife sold their dream home. They just bought it and remodeled it and turned it into their dream home. They'd always wanted. They're in their fifties, and they sold it to serve a mission because they were called. That's sick. Like yeah. the things that people give up. Um, Elder Echo Hawk gave up being like a Supreme Court justice in the state of Idaho to be a fucking seventy. Like it's horrendous, and the schedules that they have. Um, so I have like a little question for you. There's no right or wrong answers. I just want to know your thoughts on it. Do you think people like mission president up mission president to profit? So not the profit, but right underneath, right? So mission president in that the middle section of the triangle. Do you think they really believe it or they're like in on the con? What do you think? Um, hmm. I mean, I think there's variation, right? There's definitely going to be some who, who, don't believe it, um, and are in on the con, right? Like some who say like, okay, well, I don't believe it, but I do have power here, and, you know, this is what my family does, right? And I think there's some combination of like loving the power, right? Because it's a power you can't get in any other world, right? Like the power to say like, I had revelation last night that this is what, you know, we need to do as a congregation, right? Or as a mission or whatever your, you know, authority is over. Um, so I, I think there is a little bit of that. But then I think there's also a lot of fear for themselves of like, what do I do? Like, 
what will I do? Where will I go? Right? Like Elder Ballard said, right? Like, what, what, what do I do? Right? Um, and so I think, you know, like, if you were to tell me that one of the Quorum of the Twelve um, knows, right? Like, knows it's all, all a lie, right? I would, I would believe you, you know, like, if you were like, I got intel, you know. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's totally possible that that they know it's a lie. But also, I think whether or not they feel they are in on the con or that they are trying to do something good or that they feel trapped and they just say, like, well, this is what my family does and I just got to go along with it. Um, I think any of those are a possibility, right? Like, if you told me Uchtdorf didn't believe it, I'd be like, Okay, well, he probably feels trapped, and he's probably trying to make the best of it that he can. If you told me that Oaks didn't believe it, I'd be like, yeah, he's in on the con. Like, he likes the power, and he's, he's going to continue exercising that power. Um, that's kind of where my head is at. Like, I think it varies uh, from person to person. Right, and some of the some of them, like I, th I really believe uh, that Nelson buys it. I think he buys all of it, a hundred percent. That's fair. I like your insight, and I agree with you. I used to, for a period of time, probably earlier this year, uh, earlier into my ex Mormonness, I thought that they all knew that it was a con. But I've been listening to um, Mike Rinder's memoir about Scientology. And Scientology is a pyramid structure as well. Mm -hmm. There's someone at the very, very top, and then there's these levels. And Mike Render experienced, like, horrific physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, humiliation abuse, um, psychological, under Miscavige, who's in charge of Scientology right now. <clears throat> Sorry. And he did wholeheartedly believe it. And he was really, really at the top. He was hook, line, and sinker believed that it was true and in the book he reflects on different things that like were really hard for him to be confronted with but he would always find a way because it was a cult to rationalize what he was seeing what he was experiencing and listening to mike render it gave a couple of questions that are super relevant for this topic one was the very top of the pyramid for the lds church is so secretive mm -hmm. we have no idea what life is like up there yeah we have no idea if nelson is verbally abusing the other 12. yeah i wonder i suspect because he has narcissistic tendencies and i can diagnose he he, he anyways yeah i'm a mental health professional um on my way to getting my lcsw he has narcissistic tendencies period i think you have to to be what he is and then another thing that really was unsettling to me is it's so secretive. We don't know what it's like at the top um, is just realizing when people survive abuse, it's a common theme. They never tell you how bad it all was. Mm -hmm. There's always things that they hold back. Always, 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 always. Domestic violence survivors, cult survivors, right? I think even as ex-Mormons, there's pieces that hurt us so much that are so deep in our psyche, we just forget about it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's some stuff that's just so, so awful. And also with Mike's memoir, he was so high up, he was getting abused and he believed with his whole heart. 
and that made me really question if the ones at the top believe because they I used to think, hell no, they don't. They know it's a joke. You know, God isn't appearing to them. They haven't seen Jesus Christ, but they could have manifested delusions. I mean, I manifested spiritual experiences when I was a member. Um, You can force those things to happen. Sleep deprivation is a huge piece. They still experience that. Bednar laid out his schedule to us missionaries when he visited. The man gets up at 530 in the morning and runs uphill for an hour, like intensely. He has one of those ellipticals that's like up like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not the staircase one, but close, where it's like cross-country skiing. That's what he's doing to his body every morning at like 530 in the morning. And then like he goes, 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 goes. Um, And he's a he's a retired aged person like yeah. he's above 65 i mean he has been for years and then he was laying out what his schedule is like they each get like two weeks off a year or something yeah, like they don't have yeah they don't get good vacation time so yeah. it's me that sounds abusive but a hundred percent abusive yeah and so i think especially in the church and i think in other areas as well the power structure uh, it, it takes on a life of its own, right? Like you end up at the top, but like for Nelson, it took him 90 some years to get there. And then congratulations, you're at the top of this power structure and you're just elder abusing yourself, right? It's the same thing with uh, like Mitch McConnell and uh, Feinstein or Feinstein or what's her name? Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi. No, no, the other, the other lady who's stuck in uh who's stuck i don't know but nancy pelosi is helping yeah but yeah yeah nancy pelosi is like holding her there but there's that that lady from california who like is also just old and decrepit but she's stuck there and they're using her right this is this is elder abuse right you get you get to the top and then you're held there and you're you're like they're they're forced to stay and i think i think power and money rots your brain I, you know, those things, Elon Musk, Elon Musk is so out of touch. He's He's like, right? Like, even (laughs) if, yeah, like, and all of these people, they might, like, they might be genuinely narcissists, right? But even if they weren't narcissists, think about what that kind of money would do to you, right? You're I mean, just, we know yeah. their survival skills don't exist. Their you're self-preservation just, sucks. You're just <laughs> you're just out of touch, and and you, yeah. And so I think I think we should have uh, somebody following uh, people around. Anybody who has like a net worth over five hundred million, um, you should be followed around and have your legs broken every time you say something out of touch. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but like, but like, I think we, we need like an actual system that like keep, you know, like keeps people, people, right? Like we, we put, we put bad, poor people in jail, mm-hmm. but yep, for, for rich, bad people, we just, well, that's the cost of doing business. They just pay the fine and move on. Right. Exactly. Because if, if the punishment is fines, you're only punishing the poor and the yeah. middle class. And because of COVID, thank the Lord, we do have a larger class solidarity. Yes. Um, and I had a conversation with my brother and he put, I've actually shared it with clients. Like it's been really helpful to put things in perspective. He told me that the average, and this is just for America, but I'm sure for Canada it's very similar. 
the average American family makes $100,000 to $200,000 a year, and they live paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, holy Toledo. So I've gone over it with clients, and I said, for them, scraping by and making their bills is different for, 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 for me. So they have like a huge mortgage where I have rent. Yeah. They have two, three cars where I don't. You know, they someone yeah. might have one or none. They have money towards this, money towards that, but they're still in a bind. Yeah. Even for somebody who lives in a one-bedroom apartment, they have one car. Um, they don't have children, but they have a dog. And so then there's bills that go towards the dog where this average American family would have kids, and that would be where the bills would go. Um, or just even owning house plants or whatever. So what we're finding is that people, no matter their income bracket, because of inflation and because of greed, we're all in this bind of like, yeah, I'm just trying to live my life, but it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have that, if you don't have that thought process, uh, you're completely out of touch with the rest of humanity. Yeah. 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 And so I think, uh, in in Canada, I think to be in the one percent, you need to earn one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year. That is not enough to buy a house here. Like one hundred thirty thousand dollars a year, you're you're probably still renting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things have gotten so out of control, and so yeah, I think um, class solidarity is important. When you meet, um, you know, somebody who you know, like oh, you're a doctor, you make more money than I do, blah, blah, blah. It's like, they're like in the same boat as you, friend. Like they are also being abused by the system. They are also being taken advantage of by the system. So when you think about toppling over this pyramid and trying to to help the lower class, like you're, you're helping everybody except for maybe the ultra billionaire, right? Where we're talking like, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, uh, you know, like (laughs) Elon Musk, like you're, you know, and then you're, you're still helping them because then they can live a normal freaking life, you know, like with actual real friends that value their money. (laughs) With real friends instead of these people who are, who are like, oh, I'm friends with a rich guy, you know, and whatever, right? Like, real human connections, right? I can't imagine what it's like to go and and just like walk down the street and be criticized and yelled at or to be recognized and fanboyed over, right? Actually, I have been recognized. So I have, I have a very minor amount of fame, but um, actually my, I have a YouTube video that has over 25,000 views. So uh, kind of a big deal, uh, not to brag or anything, Um, but yeah. And I've gotten nasty YouTube comments that don't feel good. You know, that include slurs, something that I have never experienced because I'm a straight white guy. But then people use nasty words to describe me too uh, when it's on the internet. And so yeah, I think, okay. you know, yeah. like the idea is to bring people to to the same level, right? We're all human. Everybody, everybody you talk to is human, right? Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're in it together. But al- alas, do you have other thoughts? I did. I had one really good point, okay, but if we share it, it up, nope, okay. nope, we got time. Share it. 
I'll go speedy. I'll go fast. When you were talking about like shaving off the bottom for economically, we mean the billionaires. I'm not coming. We're not coming for millionaires. We're not coming for you. We're coming for billionaires. If we look at the pyramid structure of the church and if everybody at the bottom was in solidarity, which they're not, but if everyone was in solidarity, when it comes to taking power off of the tippy tippy top, it would be financial credibility because they don't, the church doesn't pay taxes. The church is a billion dollar organization. They don't pay taxes. Neither do these bazillionaires that we're complaining about. So the financial, you know, accountability, the lawsuits, my God. Another thing that would very simply shift the power structure, which the church does, but then it gaslights the hell out of you, is Russell Nelson sees God and is the voice of God. The church also simultaneously teaches all of us at the bottom that God speaks to us. Mm-hmm. But they gaslight you and throw in a caveat, which is, but God won't tell you anything that the church doesn't tell you. Mm-hmm. So which is it? Is it revelation or is it the church? So they really fuck with you. But if they eliminated that and made it way more about personal revelation and took that power that Russell Nelson has to see God and to speak to him, you know, the both chairs look like they've been sat in shit. And Jesus Christ is the one really leading the church, not the prophet. If they took that little piece away and said, no, any member down here can see God, any member down here can commune with Christ. It would totally flip it. So those are the two things. That was my point. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, I think this has been a great conversation, um, and I think uh, I think we'll we'll be talking more about this. Uh, but alas, uh, let's wrap up. Did you want to close us out, Heavenly Mother? I did. I didn't have. Oh my God, I do have someone to close in the name of, and it's not even a human being. It's another. It's a non-human person. So that's what I will call her is Gladys the killer whale who has been training other whale comrades to destroy billionaire yachts. We love you, Gladys. I hope your pregnancy is going well. She's also a pregnant orca. Um, Literally a feminist icon. She is, she is mother. She is giving. She is the way. And we close this evil power structure. Oh, also orcas are matriarchal. Uh-huh. Um, so this is not a triangle situation. Gladys is just leading the front, leading the troops. Give up the good work, Gladys. It is in her holy name that we close. In the name of Gladys the Orca. Amen. Amen. <laughs>